I'm glad that you're here today. We're in this series. Uh, look, uh, we're going through Luke all this year, and we're just looking right now at a couple chapters, chapters 11 and 12, and it's a series called It's Not What You Think. Just when you think you've got faith figured out, Jesus tends to challenge that thinking. And so um, sometimes we treat Jesus like he's a dinner guest, like we have Super Sunday here today, and we'll have the sentiment that Jesus is here as our guest. And sometimes we treat him like he's a dinner guest. Let me assure you of this. Jesus is not a dinner guest. And I, I like her expression and, and I, I'm looking at the passage that we're going to read momentarily, and, and I realize we need to stop treating him like he's a dinner guest. He's not. He's the host, and we are the guests. And sometimes it's like we're inviting him into our space, and the exact opposite is the very thing that's true. And so in today's passage that we're going to read, Jesus gets invited to dinner. So let's just look at this first verse here in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and he took his place at the table. And his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. And once Jesus gets to the man's house as this dinner guest, everything changes. He, he's, he's like a really bad dinner guest. As We're going to read through this passage in a moment, but Jesus walks in, and the first thing he does is break the rules. And then he offends people by what he says to them. Like, who wants a dinner guest like that? It'd be like you inviting me over, and I come to your house, and you've got a bunch of other people that are really important to you, and I walk in, my shoes are dirty, I don't wipe them at the door, I just walk in, go into the kitchen, open up the fridge to see what's inside, sit down on the couch, and then tell you all the things that you've been doing wrong. And then I can say, well, if Jesus can do it. <laughs> but that's... Essentially, what happens here as he is uh, being entertained by, by this Pharisee and he's being treated like a guest in some degree, but he's not the guest. He takes over. So they're seeing him as coming as a guest and as soon as he walks in the door, Jesus says, no, you're the guest. Let me tell you how this is going to be. And I've been reading through this passage. One of the great things about, um, about when you take a book of the Bible and you just go through it section by section, sometimes it's a challenge because you're in it for a long time potentially, but sometimes it's great because you get what you get. And so today is one of those passages that you, you kind of get what you get. And Jesus sits down at the table and then he begins to break all the rules. And the first thing he does is he doesn't wash his hands. But I found myself thinking, when he sat down at the table, I wonder what seat he sat in. Because a couple chapters later in Luke 14, he says to people, you know, based on custom, 
there was, a, there was a priority to where you sat. The most important people sat at one end and the least important people sat at the other end. And Jesus said, like, make sure you sit at the least important end and then you can get moved up and be honored. And I was reading this and thinking, I wonder where he sat. I wonder if he just went and sat down at the, like, this is the host seat. Or if he sat at the end. It doesn't say, and I have no idea, but it's just something I found myself wondering and thinking about. But then can I read for you what he does after he doesn't wash his hands, which I think for some people that's still an outrageous thing to do, um, to not wash your hands before eating a meal. Um, There's much more to that than just hygiene in this context. But listen to what he says to them, beginning at verse 39. And we'll just read through to the end of the chapter. So the Pharisees shocked that he didn't wash his hands because custom demands that. And then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. You can hear the sarcasm here. But inside, you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools. Picture Gandalf's voice. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? You're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yeah, but don't neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yeah, what sorrow awaits you guys? For you're like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing there's the corruption that they're stepping on. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you've insulted us too in what you just said. Yep, said Jesus. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? You crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you? You build monuments for the prophets, your own ancestors, uh, for your own ancestors that were killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I'll send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some, and they will persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? You remove the key to knowledge from the people and you don't enter the kingdom of yourselves and you prevent others from entering as well. And as Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to, no wonder, um, to provoke him with many questions. And they wanted to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. And he sits down, he breaks all the rules, and then he just lays into them all of these different uh, warnings or woes And he's saying to them, like, woe to you. And it's almost like he's saying, you stupid, stupid people. How could you not see what is going on and what you're doing? 
And there's this sense that they're robbing themselves and others from experiencing the beauty of God. And Jesus will have none of it. You are so wrapped up in things that are keeping you from experiencing God's beauty and the very things that you're doing that you think are so helpful are also keeping others from that same experience. And it needs to stop. Who were the Pharisees? We talk about them quite a bit because uh, in the Gospels they're talked about quite a bit. And I know I've said before that the Pharisees can be like the religious leaders, like the pastors of today. But Pharisees is much more than just a small group of, of people like pastors. It's, you have to think at a societal level where theology and culture and politics are all wrapped up in one. And so probably, and, and this is some of my speculation, Probably the people who are most like the Pharisees were then, the people today, would be what we would consider evangelicals today. And I think Jesus had a lot in common, even though he, he butted heads with the Pharisees, I think he had a lot in common with them. But they were so careful to take God's laws, and then they built all these rules around the laws to protect God's to God's laws. And if people would just obey all the rules that they created, then the kingdom would, would come faster and everything would be set right. And, and so I think today we could look at and say, well, maybe evangelicals are kind of like the Pharisees. And then there was another group called the Sadducees. They were the much more liberal group than the Pharisees were, much more accommodating to culture, much more accommodating uh, to some of the whatever was going on in culture. And so today we might say, well, maybe that's like, you know, some people would say, well, that's like mainline groups. You know, the, the old mainline denominations. Maybe they're kind of like the Sadducees. And then you've got the Essenes, another group that Jesus interacted with, and they were the extremists or the zealots. Might be like the fundies today, you know, the fundamentalists. And, uh, and so if you're trying to read the scriptures and think like beyond just, you know, specific people, you know, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not, but I'm trying to help you take that culture and see like how, you know, things are different, but they're also the same. And so here's Jesus saying to them in verse 42, woe to you, what sorrow awaits you. And then he just goes through these lists of warnings. So let's... Let's walk through these lists of warnings here. In verse 39 and 41, he's talking about these dishes. You make the outside look really nice, but inside it's filthy. And there's this idea that Jesus is challenging how we are so good at making the outer appearance look good. Like, I mean, I make this look good, don't I? <laughs> and uh, sometimes, yes, like you make, yeah, you look like a sausage, Paul. But, um, but inside... Jesus saying, you make the outside look so good, but inside is just filthy. And you need to rethink what you're doing. The next part, legalism or justice and love, and he's saying, you are so legalistic, you're careful to focus on every minor detail, including how much of your herbs and spices that you give. That was something that they did. And you're so focused on making sure everybody knows that you've done that, but you've, you neglect what's far more important, justice and the love of God. 
And then he's talking about this idea of honor and corruption. So he's saying, like, you go to church, you go to the synagogue, and you want to make sure that you're honored. You go to the marketplace, and you love it when people give you respect and honor. And he says, but really, you're kind of like graves. People are walking over it and don't even know, but the very thing that's within you is corrupting the people around you. And that's the, the Pharisee group. And then, and then the, the, one of the experts in the law says, oh, that's so offensive. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. So let me talk to you guys now. And he just kind of switches and he picks another group. And he says to the, the, relig- um, the religious expert, you know, you uh, put all these demands on people. You just heap on, you know, you're such an expert in all of this and you've figured it all out. And now you're telling everybody every little thing that they're supposed to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you've treated God's word like a prescription book. And you place all these demands on people, but you refuse to do a single thing to help them. And it's this idea that moralism has become more important. Wrong in putting that. I've been sitting with it all weekend. I'm like, yeah. Um, again, once every decade or so, I might make a mistake or be wrong. So just, okay, for those of you um, taking note, wait another 10 years. Um, I don't think it's religious finger pointing. He's saying like, your ancestors killed the people that God sent to them and then you build monuments to celebrate. You think you're celebrating the prophets that were killed, but what you're celebrating are the people who killed them. And I think what Jesus is saying is sometimes... You're celebrating the wrong things. And you're partying over the wrong things. And then lastly, he says to this religious expert, you haven't figured out what the kingdom of God is like, and you sure are doing a great job at keeping anybody else from figuring it out either. And it's really sobering stuff. Like, because I find myself asking the question up here on the wall. What are some rituals that we might have made too important today? And why is it that humanity seems to be so good at doing that? I just want to give you a moment to sit with that. What are the rituals that we've created either here at New Life or just in the Big C Church that we think are so important? But maybe they're not. If you are staying for soup today, I would love it if you would talk about this question. And if you would talk about it like this, this is one way to make people leave quickly because somebody might say something that you'll disagree with. And like, that's not true. And that's the beauty of it is we need to hear from each other on some of these things. But I find myself sitting with this and saying like, you know, what have I made so important that maybe isn't as important as I think it is? And then I just found myself asking that question, 
Why are we so good at that? I think there's fascinating, fascinating um, discussion to be had around that question. So what do you do when God gets all up in your face? Because that's exactly what's going on here. These people... (laughs) They invite Jesus to dinner, and then they just find themselves sitting there with their mouth open. I don't know what to say. And he's just laying into them. This is the Jesus that we're not used to seeing. We don't see him that often. I found a great picture that I thought I would share with you. We're not always comfy with, with an angry Jesus. And yet there are times when he rightly so gets angry. And, and before, it's angry when religion becomes more important than things like compassion and mercy and justice and love. Not because you did something wrong. I think he's angry at what sin does to people. But I think he's very willing to just invite you back into his life. Back into the life that that you need. So I want to be careful how how I'm communicating this idea of Jesus getting angry. If we just go back in chapter 11 to what we looked at last week, and if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to um, watch the sermon online, but Jesus actually talks about repentance and the value of it and the usefulness of it, the helpfulness of it, and that there are times when, when we just need to turn back to God and give up the thing that we've been holding that we think we're keeping a secret from him. And so I'm reading through this passage and I'm thinking, oh, okay. These are, these are some things that we need to pay attention to. Because it's not that often that Jesus gets really angry. But I don't want to just stand here and say, don't do that. So I found myself asking the question, What if? What if we could take those warnings that he gives, think about them in our own context, and then figure out how do we turn those into blessings? There's a few places where Jesus gives warnings like this, and there's also places where Jesus gives what's called sometimes beatitudes. And if you're wondering what's a beatitude, it's just Latin for the word blessing. So what if we took the warnings that are in this passage... And we asked ourselves the question, well, how could we take that warning and actually um, work out the inferences of it? So, for example, if you look at this verse here, clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. Don't neglect the 
the more important things, justice and the love of God. So here's Jesus saying, like, you're focused on the outer appearance. But what you need to focus on is what's going on inside, inside your heart, inside your community. And then in verse 42, he says, you know, you're good at these silly little minutiae, but you neglect justice. And the inference is pursue justice and pursue the love of God being lived out in daily life. And so what if we just took what Jesus started at the beginning of these warnings and actually applied it to everything that's in this passage? So it might read like this. You are so blessed and fortunate when you take care of the poor. Then you're clean inside and out. You are so blessed and fortunate when you pursue justice and the love of God for others. You are so blessed and fortunate when you learn humility and how to serve others. You are so blessed and fortunate when you journey with people in their faith and help them grow. You are so blessed and fortunate when you repent and turn back to God, listening to his call and his invitation into his life. You are so blessed and fortunate when you understand the kingdom and then help others discover it too. I've just found in my own journey with Jesus that it seems to me that when it comes to Jesus, religion is uh, never as important as compassion. And, and maybe, maybe mercy should always trump doctrine. I think it's worth it sometimes to do an audit. We've had this wonderful experience uh, with our Maple Lane community um, that the, the county, there's subsidies that come and then they've decided like every year there's an audit that has to be done. And people who work with numbers, I'm just so glad I don't have to do this. Our bookkeeper says, oh yeah, we have to do an audit now every year. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Um, it's not nice for her. So audits aren't necessarily a fun thing, but they can be really useful. And I wonder sometimes if we just need to do an audit and invite the Holy Spirit to do it with us of the things that we've made so important that maybe aren't. And I wonder sometimes if it might be useful and helpful for us to think about what we're doing that is keeping us from experiencing God's beauty and is keeping a whole bunch of other people from the very same. And I think it might be worth it in a passage like this to turn them into blessings. But I also find myself wondering what you think. And I'd like to pray for us. Jesus, thank you for being so real and honest with us. 
Because we're often so good, at least I am so good at not being honest with myself. And I'm grateful when you can actually tell me what I need to hear, even if I don't want to hear it. And today, this feels like one of those times when, when I think you're saying something to us and it might be things that we don't want to hear. And I pray that you, in your... Uh, gracious way would allow us to hear and to give us creativity not only to hear and to respond but then to think yeah how do we turn warnings into blessings because the warnings are meant to turn us back to you and if we're turning back to you and we're journeying to you then we, we just want to invite others to to go for the walk with us and so I pray that, uh, that we could discern that together, um, not just today, but in the weeks and months to come, as you continue to form us and shape us into who you want us to be. Thank you for uh, the people that have come here last night and got food ready for us that were here at 7 o'clock this morning to keep getting that food ready for us. And as we sit around tables, um, open our eyes and our ears to see others, to hear others, to extend your love to others. And as we sit around the table, may we all recognize that you are fully present in the room. You are not the guest, Jesus. You are the host. And we are here today because you are the host at the grand banquet that God is inviting all of humanity to. And so we sit at the table and we, if we could, we toast you as Lord. And we pledge our, ourselves to you as your people. Amen.